Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Five for Breakfast. We are now in our 39th episode of 2022. Before I kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Five for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, Graybar and Vetro. You know, last week, American Airlines held me hostage in Dallas and forced me to miss our Fiber for Breakfast session that we had scheduled with Larry Thompson to discuss his latest study on VCOS. Fortunately, my good friends, Tom Cohen, the Fiber Broadband Association's Chief Regulatory Counsel, and Mike Romano, NTCA's policy guru, were gracious to step in for me and provide a bead and Washington update. You know, I like calling Tom and Mike the twin towers of broadband policy. They are definitely the best in our industry, and I am certain that no one was disappointed to hear what they had to say. You know, for me, I like to take notes every time I hear them talk. Um, so we've rescheduled Larry Thompson for Wednesday, October 19th. That's Wednesday, October 19th. So I hope you can join us then for that session. You know, early last week, I was just outside of Phoenix for the National Tribal Broadband Conference. You know, it's a real great reminder on how critical it is for all of us to ensure that everyone, especially tribal nations, are connected with fiber broadband to close the digital equity gap once and for all. Today, I'm joining you from lovely Cape Town in South Africa. I have to say that Cape Town is arguably one of the most beautiful and amazing cities in the world. Um, and I'm speaking at the Digital Africa Conference as the desperate need for fiber is not limited just to North America. Speaking of North America, my, my good friend, Jeffrey's Equianus, George Nodder, issued a great report yesterday on his observations from SCTE from a Wall Street perspective. And he says, quote, it is clear to us that nearly every cable operator, at the very least, is evaluating fiber. We also understand that a vast majority of U.S. cable operators are applying for federal funding grants and describing fiber as their end game. He goes on to note that smaller cable operators have been able to transition to fiber at home much more quickly as they have more flexibility to overbuild themselves, while it is a little more challenging for the tier one cable operators, but still compelling. Hey, just a heads up, our next regional Fiber Connect workshop is in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. This event is in um, is already on track to break all records, uh, the, all those records we set in uh, Copper Mountain you know, last month. So you're not going to want to miss it, so please register today. Also want to bring your attention to a very important Fiber Broadband Association webinar on supply chain and key mitigation strategies. You'll hear from industry experts from the Fiber Broadband Association's Cyber Supply Chain Working Group, or Supply Chain Working Group. And they just finished a white paper that was just released. The press release went out today. So you're not gonna wanna miss uh, that white paper and that webinar. Uh, we also have uh, another great Fiber for Breakfast on this today on the State of the States broadband mapping initiatives at the state level. This will be a drill down on what North Carolina and Georgia have been doing on mapping initiatives to prepare for the FCC national broadband maps and beat funding allocation. Last week at Fire for Breakfast, the Twin Towers of Broadband Policy 
FBA's Tom Cohen and NTCA's Mike Romano gave a detailed feed and watching update. Today, our Fire for Breakfast session is with uh, Randy Lewing, the founder and CEO of Signal Analytics and uh, broadbandtoolkit.com. Uh, Eric McRae, the associate director from the Carl Vincent Institute of Government at the University of Georgia. And Ray Zells, the senior director of technology infrastructure labs at NC State University. So Randy Lewing is a 40-year veteran of telecommunications industry and is, uh, his work is focused on a range of regulatory and economic issues relevant to broadband infrastructure investment and closing the digital divide. Eric McRae manages multiple local, state, and national and international GIS projects and initiatives and has served on and chaired numerous GIS and information technology boards and committees. Uh, Ray Zeiss, his work is focused on K-12 education and his team works on cross-cutting topics that impact the overall well-being of students, such as healthcare, access to broadband, and economic development. So welcome, Randy, Eric, and Ray. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go and we'll hit that in the Q&A at the end. With that, I will turn it over to Randy, Eric, and Ray. Good, thank you, uh, Gary. Um, let's see, so we can jump to the first content slide. Um, so, so um, greetings, everyone. Basically, we have uh, uh, very recently written a white paper, um, you know, called called uh, you know, uh, uh, state state of the states uh, broadband mapping initiatives at the state level. And basically, what it does is it um, explores um, you know just the range of things that states are doing in 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 preparation for um, for BEAD and, and 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 CPF funding and the associated decision making decisions. Um, you know, basically, we're at a, a time of, of uh, unprecedented uh, both opportunity and responsibility at a state level uh, with uh, IIJA and, and BEAD. Uh, you've got $65 billion in funding flowing in, and much of it is administered by the states, and with uh, ARPCPF, uh, about uh, $10 billion. And, and so, basically, you know, there's going to be you know, states have always had, had, or for many years, have had broadband offices and have uh, been very active. But right now, the uh, um, the thrust of, of responsibility is high. And so, one of the things we wanted to do was was ask the question: What are states doing that is really powerful and and uh, innovative that'll that'll you know push forward the the public discourse and particularly things that could be uh, models that could be used uh, beyond you know their their uh, state boundaries. And you know, what we found is that there are um, a lot of states that take FCC uh, data and, and repackage it in, in some respects. You know, some go to their uh, um, you know, broadband operators in their state and, and pull in data kind of in, in advance of when it's released with the FCC. Um, others do uh, various other things that visualize things on their maps. But uh, we, we, we ended up looking really at two states that are doing uh, have a very uh, significant initiative going out and, and gathering specific types of data and then importantly releasing it to the public and, and in doing the latter it becomes uh, a, 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 part, a very important part of the discourse. Uh, North Carolina has uh, collected um, you know 111,000 um, speed tests you know at the, at the you know last count and, and, and has an associated a survey that does does a deep dive. So that's uh, those two actions in combination are very powerful. And then uh, Georgia has sort of uh, uh, pioneered 
um, something akin to the FCC's uh, fabric, uh, uh, you know, in, in that it's uh, um, got got a large number of locations that that are then, um, you know, being uh, you know vetted through through a process that is um, you know, very similar to what's happening at a federal level. Yeah, so this is uh, just to introduce the three you know speakers. So I'm Randy Leaning and, and was the author of the white paper. And then uh, Ray Zeiss uh, um, ha has in North Carolina and Eric McRae uh, in, in Georgia. And, uh, and, and just a, a quick note, um, those of you who haven't seen the white paper, there's a link in the bottom right of all of the, uh, most of the slides that gives you a link to that white paper. And also we'll have, We'll have uh, you know copies of the material we're presenting available um, you know from uh, Jennifer or, or others in the association after the talk and and particularly within the white paper you'll find uh, links to a lot of the very detailed content so we would uh, greatly encourage you to to look at that and for those of you who might be audio streaming if you type uh, broadbandtoolkit.com and grab the first white paper uh, you'll have it and, and it's at the top of the list as well so. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, so this uh, slide is, you know, what we're going to talk about during today's session is, you know, the substance of what is done, which is, you know, you know, quite significant. And we're also going to look, uh, sort of step back and look at how can data be uh, visualized, um, you know, once it's collected. And so this is a list of some of the visualizations. And I'm not going to uh, go through this, but just uh, uh, bear in mind that that you know, that's part of the message and, and you'll see some of that as we get into the slides. So um, with, with that, uh, let's uh, go to uh, Ray and we'll hear about uh, North Carolina's initiatives. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to you all today. I'm Ray Zeiss from the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation at NC State. You may wonder why an educational institute is worried about broadband. Uh, we have been focused on that topic for many years in particular all 2,500 public schools in North Carolina are connected by fiber today as a result of programs that we helped uh, steward here at the Friday Institute. We also worked on putting Wi-Fi in every classroom using E-rate funds. Uh, and after we got that done, we needed to figure out how to connect all the students at home. So we've been actually working on this topic since before COVID and it really became very popular. Um, we were uh, hired basically by the state broadband infrastructure office to uh, develop a survey tool and a speed test. And we looked with them across the industry at a number of other uh, ready-made tools such as Ookla. And we kind of determined that uh, they all have their place. The Ookla data, for example, is useful. But what we were looking for was a very high fidelity, uh, you know, not duplicated speed test. So um, our survey takes about five minutes to complete. The speed test is only 30 seconds. But we wanted people to actually physically type in their address and answer a few questions and not use this as a way to test is their Wi-Fi router working. So we kind of felt like a lot of the, uh, the ready-made tests were kind of geared towards the more technically astute who were testing, you know, various router configurations or Wi-Fi configurations. Um, and you were getting a lot of speed tests at the same space or they were heavily uh, on cellular. And what we were looking for was street level data uh, from real people. And to take that a step further, we wanted to make sure we reached the people that don't have any internet. So we actually built a chat bot uh, 
that you can call or text with your phone if you have no internet access at all at an address and that collects your address and puts the, uh, the data into um, our database. Uh, we can even tell if they're on a mobile or a landline based on that, uh, that tool, which is pretty helpful. Um, our speed test goes to a single server in the center of the state of North Carolina that is peered with all the big carriers in a data center uh, in, in North Carolina. And uh, unlike Ookla and some other tests that have multiple servers all around the world, we basically really were only focused on collecting folks in North Carolina and kind of wanted to normalize that to um, a single point that's on like a dual 40 uh, gigabit you know, server. Uh, across 100 and however many thousand responses we've had, the chances of a, a bunch of people hitting that server at the same time seems to be pretty low. So we've never seen the utilization on that server even jump above like 5%. So I'm fairly confident we don't have any bottlenecks in our survey methodology. We have uh, surveys for the general population, uh, farms. We even have one for community anchor institutions, and then we have the phone survey. And not every survey is exactly the same. There's no speed test, for example, on the phone survey. But what we've done is try to normalize the data into a single uh, data set that people can download. Um, we can probably go to the next slide just to show a snapshot of uh, what the data. So what we do is we build a data dictionary and we show which fields are available, what their exact names are. So for people that are service providers that are looking to find, you know, where there are clusters that they might want to go after grant money or other researchers, uh, they can download this data. And there's a link uh, I think we've shared um, and and do their analysis. So I'm going to go ahead and, and leave leave the next slide. Uh, Back to you, Randy, I think. Oh, no. there's, a, there's an example visualization that the state broadband office does. Um, I want to make sure we leave time for questions. So I'm just going to you know, let you look at that real quick. So this is the official speed test that's used by the broadband office to um, help identify clusters and areas in the state that need more investment. Okay, and so the next um, couple, two or three slides, basically just show some visualization techniques that are, are interested in and very timely given the context of, of bead. Um, so in this case here, we're showing the results of speed tests and you'll see uh, two, two numbers. Uh, and if you can't see these perfectly, you'll take a look at the white paper or you'll, you'll, uh, you, you'll, you'll see it um, in a different context. But basically there's a download speed and an upload speed. And then each of the speed tests are also um, color coded as uh, either qualifying, underserved, or unserved. So there's a, a color and numerical aspect to that. And this is uh, basically the same thing, but what we've done is we've uh, tagged every block uh, you know, with either a qualifying, underserved, or unserved um, color code uh, based on the samples that are, are within it. And you know, one, of the, one of the critiques of, of crowdsource uh, speed testing that we'll, I'm sure, talk about during during the Q&A is that you know sometimes you've got people with inexpensive plans or or other other constraints. In this case, it's getting the best test uh, within that geographic area. So that's uh, a, a nice control component and it makes a pretty picture. And then finally, this is something where we uh, aggregate the the data into a larger uh, polygon. In this case, it's a census track and we're showing you know median download upload speeds. Um, but what's you know what's interesting here is is even though you're 
your speed tests aren't in every, every block, but you've still got a lot of them. They, the data can be aggregated and you do have a full color map for the entire uh, state. So in Georgia, we took a, a different approach and, and much like Ray here in Georgia, we've been working on broadband since the days of ARPA when the, the first national broadband map. So we've had a long history in working with broadband mapping, but the one thing that we always had a challenge with was the accuracy. It just never seemed to be accurate enough to be able to make good decisions. And so in 2018, we started down a path to map out um, all locations in the state of Georgia for that had access to what was defined as broadband at the time, which was 25 megs down, three megs up. We realized that that is, you know, probably woefully uh, you know, inadequate now, but at that time we felt that, that was good enough. It was also the FCC's definition of broadband at the time. We, we, we're using a commercial set of locations. Um, we get that data set, we scrub those, get rid of duplicates, um, we validate against other data sources, and then we provide that data out to the ISPs if they sign a sublicense agreement to have access to it. Um, but what we request of each ISP is to provide us with a list of all addresses that they uh, do serve or can serve within 10 business days of a request, or even better, send us a footprint of the network in which you're gonna be able to serve. And so some send us the footprint, some send us the actual plant. So we get basically three different levels of data sent to us. We then take that, we aggregate that all together and we generate the map. And the way we generate the map is if 80% of the locations in a given census block have access to broadband, 25.3 or greater, that census block is considered served. Anything less than that is considered unserved. Um, in recent years, this past year, we've started looking at getting data for, and we started making the request for different speed tiers, and we're gonna start asking for technologies as well. Uh, we do make the data available in a census block format uh, so that you can publicly download that, and that's what Randy was able to do as part of his white paper. What this gives us is a very high quality view of the state of the state. We can look at that and determine what is the FCC show versus what is the state of Georgia shows. Um, this was very important at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we were just in the process of publishing our first map and we were able to very quickly tell the Department of Education for all the kids that were sent home to do virtual learning, which students did not have access to broadband, who didn't even have the ability to subscribe to it if they wanted to. And so we were able to point out the 160,000 students across the state that did not have access. So this is an example, and, and I will say these big dark holes that you see in the state, those are completely unserved, 0%. There are no served locations in these uh, in those census blocks. The green areas define those, look, those areas and census blocks which are considered served by the state of Georgia, and then the, the pink areas are those that are less than 80%, and so those would be considered underserved, um, but they have some service level in them. And you can see an example here where we've zoomed in and you can, it, it's a little hard to make out, but you know, the the, the pink are 62%, 24%, but you see all the 0% throughout the, the slide. Those are all completely unserved census blocks. And generally speaking, the unserved census blocks in Georgia will mimic the unserved census blocks with the FCC, but we additionally can show at a census block level, those census blocks which are underserved. Just because you're a green census block does not mean you're 100% served. It just means you have 80% of those locations or greater have service. 
And this is another example that Randy put together that shows the new, basically a color ramp from red being 0% to green being 100% to kind of show you how the state would look. And this is, this is just zoomed in on that same area that we were just looking at to give you an idea of the, the number of unserved locations. And so we've been able to get a very accurate count of the number of unserved locations that we have in the state of Georgia. Turn it back over to you, Randy. Great. Okay, so this is a slide that uh, basically just summarizes um, a, a few of the caveats on each of these techniques. And usually, you know, usually when you talk about either either using a fabric or crowdsourced data, um, you know, a hand in the audience goes up and says, "Well, what about this?" And and uh, we we also talk about a lot of these, uh, you know, caveats or footnotes in the white paper. Um, you know, some some of the issues, for instance, with crowdsourcing, um, consumers might uh, choose a low price plan, so it may not be reflective of, of the uh, of, of the ISP in the area. Uh, there may be a, a Wi-Fi constraints. So oftentimes, you know, poor architectures or just people who don't know know how to configure uh, uh, their their Wi-Fi or are using it right at the limits. Um, um, you know, there may be multiple users at home at the time of the tests. Um, there may be um, uh, devices that are are, are um, are, are, are not great, you know, or, 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 or for instance, in a, you know, in, in depending on some, some methodologies, if you're, there's a question of how do you do the location. Um, so in some cases, you just may have a GPS of, available to actually precisely locate, in which case um, it's hard to get good measures on, on uh, laptops, as, as an example, uh, um, or desktops. Now, in the case of North Carolina, they did a, a robust uh, survey and, and then, you know, separately did the speed test. So that was an elegant solution um, to that. Um, and, and, uh, and, and then sometimes there just may be, um, you know, a, a limited number of, of, of data points that that may make it hard. For instance, one thing that we found, you know, just looking across the, the country at, at um, people who've tried, the states that have tried to do their own speed testing, oftentimes they'll, they'll, uh, start the process and they'll be challenged just in getting a, a sufficient number of, of, of results. And, and um, you know, in one, one of the strengths, I think, in the way it was done in North Carolina is they had, you know, very, very good uh, political participation, you know, at, at, with, from officials at, at every level. And that uh, helped them hit some really good, good numbers as a percentage of the uh, number of households. And then on, on the fabric, you know, um, a, also a set of issues, but but a different set. Um, you know, you may have areas, you know, where you know there are no actual uh, tests. You know, if, if it's based on advertised speeds, they they may not be hit. Um, you've got um, issues with some technologies, like with um, you know satellite trees can grow, or you could have weather conditions, or you may have bottlenecks in in in, in the network. Um, um, and then also there's a delay between often when when it's uh, release the information is released by the ISP and when it's actually published. So with that, um, let's open it to questions, and I'm sure we've got a few. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, this is incredibly interesting and very timely, with given everything that's going on. So I'll just start off with um, what was your um, what, what had come up between the 477 data and the, the mapping you guys did. What what kind of differences did you see? For us, it was a massive difference. Um, basically, 477, so Georgia, 97% served. It's pretty much so solid color served. When you take out and you look at it the way we mapped it and the methodology we use, 
it's a stark, subtle difference. And so, was it closer yeah. to broadband now numbers, or or was it even um, worse than that? I think it's worse than that. Yeah, we it, because oh, really? broadband now, yeah, yeah, because we we're we're dri we're driving down a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. So, like, F the FCC was saying 17 million unserved in the U.S. and and Broadband now is saying 42 million. So you're saying it's worse than 42 million. Well, for us in Georgia, we knew that there were about a million unserved in the state of Georgia. So uh, we 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 feel that that's uh, uh you know and according to the FCC, it was any you know we it was minuscule the number that were unserved in the state of Georgia. But for our numbers, population wise, we're probably a million million two that were unserved in the state of Georgia. What about you, Ray? Well, actually, we saw Eric's map originally, and I think that was what got us to get the funding to actually do the map. And our goal was to have we geocode to census block. I don't know the exact number, but there are thousands of people that are technically in FCC considered served blocks that typed in their address and said they had no access or came in with one megabit or horrible speeds. So we verified certainly that the, the data was overstated. So when and um NTIA goes to do the allocation based on the new FCC uh, mapping. You, I would suspect you guys would say that if you haven't done your own state mapping, you're probably not going to get your fair share. That would be inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. So uh, some questions that come in saying, um, you know, well, the FCC, so there's two different challenge processes, right? There's the NTIA challenge process and the FCC challenge process. So what the, the work that you guys are doing, both different methodologies, North Carolina and Georgia, will those be accepted during the challenge process for both um, NTI and FCC? So I believe that the, the, the work that we're doing, um, since we have to mimic, we have to use the FCC, we have to use their, uh, their fabric to basically provide the challenge and then provide supporting documentation to show where we differ. Um, I believe that we'll be able to use our information to challenge that. And NTIA, I also have confidence we'll be able to use our data to challenge that as well, yes. I think so too, but that's up to our state broadband office. They're the ones that make the call on that. All right, so uh, see if you guys can answer this one came in. Do you have access to the FCC, or uh, yeah, do you have access to the FCC hub data uh, to add to your um, fabric for better accuracy when data points? we're in the process of getting that once again our state broadband office we're the mapping arm of that office um they they've made the request and as soon as they get it that they'll supply that to us and then we'll do a county by county verification to see where we're different um and then we'll also look at some locally sourced information to get the most timely data available um for purposes of our challenge yeah, our state has a mapping office also. It's nc1map.gov, I believe, and they have a number of different broadband maps that they're working on with various different sources. This is just one project that they funded. Okay, and I had uh, someone come in and said, do uh, any states have vendors that they use to do the mapping? So, you know, you guys, your states reached out to universities. I've seen Lightbox in some areas. And what, who else this is going to work? And where would a state, um, who, who could a state call to get? Working on I know, some I know Lightbox has done quite a few work, uh, quite a few, quite a bit of work with states, as well as CTC. I believe yep. they're out of Maryland. They've done some work, um, and so I'm not sure. I'm sure CostQuest has has done yep. probably previous to having the FCC contract. They were probably doing some work at the state levels as well. Yeah, same. 
Well, great. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time, but you know, uh, Randy, Eric, and Ray, I really appreciate you, know, you guys sharing what you're doing. I think you're doing really important work, and there's billions at stake. So, uh, you know, just it's just crazy when I look at F four seven seven data, and um, you know, so I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're going to get back together next Wednesday, where we'll be discussing future-proof the world's fastest internet. Why EPB took the leap to 25 gig. So if you haven't heard, uh, Chattanooga is now um, a 25 gig city. So that's what Katie Esbeth, the VP of New Products at EBB, EPB, and she'll discuss uh, the benefits that the community expects now with 25 gig. Um, so you're not going to want to miss that, and we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, Thanks. everybody.